The Shankill Butcher's right tonight You better shut your windows tight They're sharpening their cleavers and their knives And taking all their whiskey by the pint Cause everybody knows Welcome to Sundays on the East End with Bridget Leroy and Alex Sokolow. This is Bridget Leroy, and my guest host today is actress, writer, producer, Georgia Warner. How Hello. are you? Oh, I'm very well, thank you. That's it's good. lovely to meet you, Bridget. Good. We're going to bring on our guest. <laughs> She's my mother. Yes, yes. <laughs> Full disclosure, Georgia Warner is my daughter. Um, we're going to bring on Maureen Callahan, our special guest today, who wrote the book American Predator. Uh, which is really amazing, Georgia, because I, I, you know, I do for WPPB, I host the Authors' Night. Mm -hmm. And at Authors' Night, which is a wonderful event that uh, raises funds for the East Hampton Library, uh, I call it like speed dating with authors. I try to speak to as many authors as I can. And there's 100 authors, and there are some of them that range from, you know, you've never heard of them to the very, very famous, you know. And Maureen came up to talk to me, and she was, this was about an hour into the, two or three hour event and she was the only author whose books had completely sold out and That's I was like incredible right I was like whoa I have so I went home and sorry bookstores I love you but I downloaded it onto, onto my Kindle it's called American Predator and then I think it's the hunt for the most meticulous serial killer of the 21st century she'll correct me when she gets here sure. I don't I have it have you read it already I did I read it like in a couple of nights and That's it was amazing. terrifying Oh, I'm sure. She's a marvelous writer and, uh, you know, has a, a background in, uh, you know, writing a column for the New York Post. And her specialty actually is like fashion. I want to ask her when we bring her on, mm -hmm. you know, fashion and, and trends and New York subculture. Anyway, it's all really interesting. It's, it is interesting. There, there's such a trend right now of... I don't want to say a trend of of serial killers. That sounds don't 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 freak out everyone. Um, but of just fascination with the way that the criminal mind operates is yeah. I think maybe since since Dexter or CSI, there's like all, all these. It's amazing how many. You know, if you go on Netflix, it's almost almost every other trending well, TV I, show movie is something to do with the criminal mind. And and Maureen will admit that she is also one of those true crime aficionados and I think she may have actually interviewed the real Mindhunter guy. I've forgotten oh, his wow. name. I, guy. Just, I just watched all of Mindhunter. You did? Yeah. I only watched the first season because so I'm no, no spoilers, I mean, no spoilers. I, I will not spoil anything but I will say, you know, uh, as I'm primarily an actor uh, and there is, I think all actors have a certain level of interest in psychology and it, on Mindhunter, I mean just seeing some of the actors who portray you know, as an actor, you never want to. Crazy isn't interesting. What's interesting is, is trying not to be crazy. Trying not sure, or just the levels of, you know, unique perspective. And so you have some of these these actors playing serial killers who've just done some some really gruesome, weird stuff. Uh, and just the way that the sanity with which they approach these roles, the level headedness, 
it's just fascinating. I'm sure it's not created for the show. Well, but you, you know, know, that's that's bring, it, it's an interesting point because both the actor and the writer have to get into the head of the person they're writing about or portraying. Sure. And you know, I wonder. I mean, if it's, has there ever been like an actor that you know of who just kind of got too far into it? Have you read any stories about that and just like freaked out? Oh yeah, Jimmy, just stabby Jimmy. <laughs> <laughs> there is no stabby Jimmy, Georgia. You just made up that name. Oh, well. Um, no, I mean personally in my life no I mean I, no, but a I mean, little it, bit I mean didn't Vivian Lee kind of have a little bit of a mental snap after playing so many crazy people I mean like Blanche Dubois or uh, yes Vivian Lee when she, she played Blanche Dubois and Scarlet and all that I, th oh, I, I think it know. was during soon after the Blanche Dubois years she had a, a little I mean I don't quote me on this but it seems like she had a from my understanding it went a little too far into oh, I, the role and yeah. so did you know and um what's that I haven't seen the documentary yet but uh Jim Carrey that you know when oh, he yeah. did um, when he did a uh, man on the moon yeah which I, I guess is more probably like you know depression than you know, right. insanity or anything but that but there's that uh, documentary out Jim and Andy I think it's called and it's about how he completely lost himself in this character and and got really deeply depressed and existentially confused well Maureen Callahan when she comes on is going to talk about what it was like and she didn't just get into the mind of uh, she'll talk all about Israel mm -hmm. Keys when she comes on but she also interviewed a lot of the FBI people and it's more than just a story about a serial killer it is also a story about facts like the FBI had him in custody for seven or eight months I think before mm -hmm. they let the public know so what were they what were they doing during those seven or eight months with maybe, him? Maybe, well, I don't know. That's a good question. I yeah. mean, I would think maybe just trying to make sure that it was really him and that, and maybe trying not to freak people out. I don't know. Yeah, that's that's very strange. But that it was also interesting public. to me, and I, I don't know where I read this about Maureen. Uh, it might have been on, like, you know, the sleeve of the book or whatever, but that uh, uh, Israel Keys, that's his name, yeah. right? Um, that the, the killer on which her book is based was because uh, I thought, you know, I'm like, I've never heard of this guy. I've heard of, you know, Ted Bundy. I've right, heard of, right. And he was a big fan of Ted Bundy, by the way. That's what I was going to say. That's what's so interesting to me, the fact that these that these serial killers, like, have other serial killer idols. And there really it's, are not that many serial killers. It's, I mean, it's, it's, it's a, you know, it's, it's the exception rather than the norm. I mean, as we know, most murders in America are, you know, crimes of passion sure. or, you know, the momentary loss of sanity, mm -hmm. uh, you know, rage, something like that. Revenge. It's usually Revenge. personal. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's usually personal. It's a, that's what I mean by like a crime of passion. Mm -hmm. um, but a serial killer is an entirely different animal. I mean, it has to do with control, with power and uh, all that kind of stuff. So. It's really interesting. It's interesting, and I don't know. I think this is based on a true story, and I don't know if, I don't know if this is a, a far jump. But I just watched uh, Unbelievable on Netflix, which is a oh. based on a true story of this. Is that the woman that no one believed, mm -hmm. and you don't know whether it's a, what, what, it's what a is young it about? Woman. So, uh, oh God, I can't remember her name, but it's 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 the story of a young woman who, uh, I don't want to give too much away, but she, you know. We understand, you know, it opens on her rape, basically, that we see bits and pieces from her point of view and she goes right to the cops. But because she comes from a kind of a broken background, going from foster home to foster home and has a, a history of attention seeking, according to her foster mother, the police are tipped off that maybe it didn't really happen. And then it's kind of how it all unravels. But the reason I bring this up is because 
the flip side of it, it's sort of her story and her journey of, I don't even know if it happened myself, sort of confusion, right. versus don't Don't two, give away the end. I, I won't. I mean, you kind of <laughs> know where it's going from the beginning, but I won't give it away. But, uh, but on the other side of that, you have these two um, female detectives, one who is played by um, uh, Tony Collette, who's just unbelievable. Right. And... Uh, and and they're um, they're they've 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 found these these rapes that have a lot in common, even though they don't know this main girl character, mm-hmm. that have a lot in common with the story she told. And right. they're realizing that there's this sort of serial rapist. But what's interesting, uh, talking about you know how you know the random selection of serial killers and stuff, or how it seems that way, mm-hmm. is that this and if it is based on a true story, this person wasn't like you know raping blondes it was like he had a young overweight woman a very old lady a middle-aged black woman it was like he was collecting a demographic well that's very much like this uh the the subject of maureen callahan's book um israel keys he traveled around i mean she'll tell you it's Mm -hmm. just fascinating and um i mean the lengths he went to to um what is mollify his need mm-hmm. uh, to commit these sometimes rapes as well and murders and leave no trace whatsoever and not even bodies to be found. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think he had kill kits in something like 40 states. And he would he would like transverse the United States in one day. Like I think he lived in Arizona and uh, he w- w- like went to Alaska by right. bus, train, automobile, you know, renting a car, then taking a plane, then taking a helicopter. Like there was no way to trace him. And uh, and, and, and I, I mean, we'll bring this up yeah. when, when she comes in. I don't, I don't want to you know give away all of her, her topic, but uh, I, I think he had what, like 12 known murders mm-hmm. in like. In, in 20 years or something. I mean, it, yeah. was, it was a long time. Which, 12, which, 12 is what they could, um, you know, Well, in, unless they're validate. missing, unless they're missing 50 others, you have to imagine that each of these took a, an insane amount of planning and and fixation. And it's it's just so interesting to me how these, I mean, I, this, is, this is something I do not understand. Not that I understand really anything about, you know, I get the control aspect, I get the rage aspect, but, but why these particular victims who have well, no relationship to the killer are chosen is very confusing to me. Yeah, it's very interesting. So we're going to bring on Maureen Callahan after we take a break. This is Bridget Leroy, Sundays on the East End with Bridget Leroy and Alex Oclo. Subbing for Alex Oclo is Georgia Warner. hey And we're coming to you from our sponsor, the Bridgehampton Inn and Restaurant, which serves breakfast to the public uh, every day from 8 to 10.30, I believe, and dinner at night. It's a wonderful place. It's right on Main Street, Bridgehampton. And we're coming to you on 88.3 WPPB-FM, Long Island's only NPR station. We are listener-supported public radio, Peconic Public Broadcasting, and you can also stream us online at 883wppb.org. We'll be right back. I knew a week before she died I was going to kill her. She went out to a party. She got soused. She came home alone. I asked her how her evening went. She just looked at me. So I got a claw hammer and I beat her to death. Then I cut her head off. And we're back Sundays on the East End with Bridget Leroy and Alex Sokolow. Alec is out in Hollywood, I think, doing his Hollywood-type stuff. So instead, I have my daughter co-hosting with me, Georgia Warner. Hello. Hi. And now we'd like to bring on our special guest, Maureen Callahan. Greetings, Maureen. Hello. Hello. (laughs) So we've been talking about 
serial killers, obviously, yeah. because that's the most interesting subject, and your book, American Predator. And what is the, I, I didn't, don't know if I got the, um, the subtitle subtitle right. Uh, it's uh, The Hunt for the Most Meticulous Serial Killer of the 21st Century. Uh, if I didn't get oh. it, I was close. It's amazing. Now, I have a question. Yeah. So the, um, now you do not work in the field of serial killers who didn't before this this book. Um, you're a writer for the New York Post. Is mm-hmm. that right? That's mm-hmm. awesome. Thank you. Uh, so why this guy? Like, how did you happen on the story of this killer? And why was it just so fascinating to you that you wrote a book about it? I mean, I've always been interested in true crime. Which uh, is what we were talking about. Exactly. Like, right? uh, um, but I, I came across this story uh, in 2012. It was a small news story, but it, 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 it the very beginning, it, uh, it laid out three things that I had just never encountered before. One was that uh, the FBI had in their custody a serial killer who had no discernible MO, who had no victim type, who was killing all over the United States of America for at least the past 14 years, uh, who, when the agents working the case went to the top criminal profilers at the Bureau, were told, we've never seen one like this before. Uh, well, that would that would certainly spark my interest. One hundred percent. And and what also was made clear uh, was that uh, the FBI had had this guy in custody for the past nine months, but we're just now making the case public. Now, so why why is that a secret? So it just the whole thing it fascinated me from the get go. I'm fascinated now. I want to find out about this dude. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Read the book. Buy the book. Go go, Georgia. Sorry, I used your childhood nickname. <laughs> go, go. No, Georgia Warner. Some things never fail. Anyway, it's a little bit outside your wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. So, Maureen, how did you, um, like, did you think, oh, my God, maybe somebody's already writing about this? I mean, wh- what did you do? Well, I, I, I know I have a good idea when I become immediately gripped by panic that somebody else is going to have the same idea yeah. and beat me to it. Right. Um, as far as it being outside of my wheelhouse, I mean... I, in my role at the Post, I'm kind of a generalist. I'm interested in a lot of different things, and I get to report about. Well, I want to talk about things. that later, especially about yeah. New York sub. Did you ever write about the mole people? Because you write about no, New York subculture. But I feel like the mole people have been done so well by so many others, okay. including an amazing documentary that came out, I believe, in the late '90s or early. Yeah, 2000s. yeah. But yeah. We'll, we'll get Bridget. Yeah, Bridget yeah. has brought up the New York mole people about six times in the last twenty-four well, hours. This is our passion project. <laughs> really, <laughs> you, should, be you should write a book on the mole people. I think a mole must be my my spirit animal. Must be. <laughs> <laughs> I like to go underground, and I'm kind of blind. Yeah, sure. Anyway, and very furry. Yes. So anyway. Anyway, but let's get back to talking about Israel Keys because that is his name. Um, am I right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Gosh. So, where did you start? You read this story. You the, this guy has no discernible mo. He is freaking out the top FBI profilers because mm-hmm. they just cannot get a read on him. Mm-hmm. What was the first thing you did after reading this? I went to the FBI. You went to the FBI, I like went you went and knocked FBI. on the door in Quantico, like, hey. I did the digital age equivalent. I sent a very thoughtfully worded email. <laughs> um, how did you even know? I mean, I really want, I mean, I'm really yeah, trying to, like, yeah. how did you know who to contact? Yeah, and specifically, what was the subject on line of your email? Because I have to imagine, uh, you know, they have to screen their email. It must have been regarding Israel Keys. A it lot of been... exclamation points. <laughs> Actually, no. 
you don't want to come on too strong. Sure, sure. But um, what I knew was going to work in my favor was that the FBI had appealed to the public at large for help with this case. Oh, okay. Okay. So, and then when you think about it and you, and you, when I went on the site, which I, sh- it should have been obvious to me from the beginning, but the depiction of federal agents in movies and television and books, it's their greatest recruiting tool and it's free advertising. And they are very, very interested in helping that depiction. Oh, okay. Um, you mean of kind of like the pressed suits and, or what do you mean? Kind just of just as, um, as, as really, uh, Exceptionally competent, okay. if not Very brilliant. Cool. Yeah, cool. You know, and I mean, if you think about Mindhunter, even though it's showing the sort of messy beginnings of criminal mm-hmm. profiling, uh, it, it it's also depicting incredibly dedicated agents and who live for this. My personal favorite, Dale Cooper. Okay, but like, I've Peaks. only watched the first season, so mm. of Twin mm. Peaks. No, 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 no. I mean, of, no, of, I'm, of I said Dale Cooper. I'm talking about I'm talking about the original, the OG, right? very, very cool FBI agent who has uh, psychic powers. That, if that like, doesn't make you want to join the FBI, I don't know what would. That's right. That's right. It does. It, it kind of like they do ch- try to infer that they have superhuman ability in a way to, you know, d- uncover a particular case, like a profiler or something like that, almost seems superhuman. Well, it's, in the tuneness with their instincts. Yeah. Because with Keyes, you know, one of the things that really surprised the agents who were working this case, you know, he told them, uh, A, I learned from you. I read and I watch all of this stuff, fiction and nonfiction. And he he also, like so many criminals, even though he was sort of a criminal non-parel, uh, when, they, when they are arrested, uh, they they sort of believe the FBI has these powers that they don't actually have because of these depictions in popular culture where, you know, an analyst is on a computer and within 30 hot seconds can, like, pinpoint the location of an right. unknown subject, who, you know, <laughs> right, uh, right. and has his entire backstory right up on the screen. That, right. that does not happen. No. no, no. <laughs> uh, but if there are any potential serial killers listening today, that does happen. And <laughs> so, they so will find you. Watch yourself. <laughs> they will find you eventually. Right. Check yourself before you wreck yourself. So They're, all, they're already on to you. <laughs> before you even do anything Mm -hmm. but uh so tell tell us more about israel keys because i may be mistaken but didn't he kind of turn himself in or did they actually catch him or did they actually caught him okay i was wrong Uh, it culminated in a a multi-state police chase um they were tracking oh i remember the individual who was using the atm card of a girl who went missing in anchorage alaska about one month prior. But it was used in Arizona or something. It was first used in New Mexico, right. Arizona, and then it was it was used in Texas. And, and the location kept sort of narrowing. But do you think that he was doing that on purpose? I mean... I asked every agent who worked it what they thought. Why would he do it? Because he was otherwise so smart and deliberative. Right. Um, and their thought, I thought subconsciously, does he want to get caught? Does he want to make sure he perversely goes down in history as among the masterminds mm-hmm. of this kind of crime? But uh, they all thought he was, A, losing control, uh, and and B, just thought he was so much smarter that they they would never catch him. Okay. I mean, it does. Yeah. It reminds me of, you know, the Zodiac Killer and the, the sort of cat and mouse game. I don't know, you know, but the idea that 
he, they, they got so close, they like play with You'll Never Catch Me, and I do, I wonder if, if it was. Well, but there's that, but like Maureen said, I mean, there's those two ideas. One is, you know, he wanted to be caught, and the other mm-hmm. one is that he was just unraveling by that point. Sure, but I'm, so. what I'm suggesting is there might, I don't know enough about it, but that there might be a middle ground of, I'm gonna drop you a clue that you'll never be able to pick up on because I'm too smart for you. But well, he here's wasn't. the thing that's really, <laughs> yeah. I mean, the serial killer mind is not like, we can't think of it with our rational minds because they're clearly irrational. They're killing people. They're killing multiple people. So mm-hmm. this is not a sane person. Actually, he not only is legally sane uh, and, and, and was the subject of a, of a six and a half hour long psychological evaluation ordered by the court to make sure that, you know, the trial would proceed. But uh, he, he was actually, he's, 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 Clinically, legally, psychologically, it sounds weird to say, but sane. He knew the difference between right and wrong. He went to great lengths to avoid getting caught up until this point. He had like a normal life. He lived with a woman, right? He had he had a ten year old daughter. Um, but to your earlier point, with the dropping of the clues, you're so right because the last great clue that he left was uh, a ransom note with a photo of his last known victim. And in that photo, she looked she looked differently than she had on the surveillance video from the kiosk where she was abducted. Um, her hair was braided. Uh, she was wearing a lot of makeup. Uh, she was looking straight into the camera. And uh, there was one agent on on this task force who said, "She's dead." In that picture, he wow. was the only one who picked up on it. Uh, he had never worked a case remotely like this before but he was so smart uh yeah i don't want to give everything yeah, away because yeah. i want people to actually pick up your book as well yeah, yeah. but uh, i mean he did some pretty horrible things to the bodies both before and after yeah they um and he did what did it cross gender he did he did kill some men as well he did and uh what they were also really interested to know was when he went after men, were his crimes as sexually motivated as when he went after women? Because again, he would go after anyone. Um, but in in his in his psych eval, he told the doctor that he uh, he was bisexual and he'd always known it. And despite his incredibly strict religious upbringing, he never had a problem with it. Mm-hmm. He was never conflicted about it. Um, so that's right. Yeah. He had that amazingly strange upbringing. So that part is kind of like almost like one of those fiction stories where, where you you know that you would watch on TV where you go, oh, let, let's wait and see what his background was like. He had one of those kind of really weird, cultish backgrounds, right? And they traveled around all the time. So strange, and they were always traveling around to states that were on the border of Canada, because his parents were preparing for either a race war or war with the federal government. Um, But his childhood was something I was so curious to learn about, especially because even though I was granted all of this access to the agents who worked the case, and I went to Anchorage and visited with them and sat with them, and the, the agent who was tasked with learning about his history, his biographical history, I would ask her about his childhood, and she would never say a thing. And there was no reporting about it. There was nothing. And I thought, this is so odd. This case is considered closed by the FBI. Why are they not talking about what what possibly helped create this kind of a monster? 
And so then that became another focus of, of my own investigation. Right. I can understand the aversion, you know, if, if say, uh, I, I don't, this is a completely uneducated guess, but like say, you know, he was Mormon or something like that. I can understand that not wanting to be revealed because then those who are not part of that smaller sect might think like, oh, if you're Mormon, you'll become a serial killer. He so actually if, if they were did, trying did to start out Mormon, didn't he? Well, there you go. <laughs> so, yeah. I'm yeah, sorry. But I just, sorry I just, to all my I Mormon just, friends. It's just, small, it's, just, um, it's just a chance. Yeah. Total chance. Yeah. No, it, um. It, but I don't, you know, that's a good point, but I don't think it ultimately was that for the FBI because uh, he his parents wound up what, the way that Keyes referred to it, he called them sh- cult shoppers. They shopped from cult to cult to cult. They were Amish for a time. They belonged to a white supremacist church. They, I mean, they were just always in search of something more strict and unforgiving and, and paranoid. And, and so his he, parents were probably nuts. It, I mean... Well, you know, it's interesting because I talked to his mother because I really I wanted to talk to his mother. I, I, she had never talked to anyone before. Wow. Uh, and I didn't realize like a reporter that, before. Oh, yeah. And I, I really wanted to get her version of his upbringing. And also she I, wasn't just like um, like a skeleton with like a mom wig on and like sitting in a chair. <laughs> <With your mom>. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I had to go to psycho. Sorry. Sorry. But, it, 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 you know, it's interesting because when. When one of the investigators first saw his mother at a courthouse in Texas after his arrest, um, he he was so struck by her physical appearance. He said she looked like something out of Little House on the Prairie, and it was his first indication that there was a lot of extreme weirdness around this case. And I would imagine she's basic. She basic. She basic. I would imagine probably a lot of sexual repression in those kind of uh, you know I I don't know much about the Amish culture, but I imagine there isn't a lot of sex ed. Um, well, they like, were like, I mean, they were only Amish for a little while. I mean, but it's, any of when you're, but when you're going from cults, I mean, from what I know about cults, but, uh, except for like, you know, that crazy Utah one, you know what I mean? The Oregon one. What am yeah, I talking not about? Utah, Utah's Mormons. God, I'm really Dude, stuck on this Mormon on Mormons. thing. See, me with the Mormons, you with the moles. But, I know. uh, <laughs> what about Mormon? But, but it's, people? I mean, I'm, I'm not saying that, you know, it's like, you know, if you can't have candy as a kid, you grow up being a food addict. But I do wonder if being, you know, if if that was part of his childhood was don't, you know, don't explore well, sexuality. And then he, he went had out a brother, and, you know, right? Didn't he have a, a brother or he had I, two brothers, two or three brothers. He was one of nine. One of nine. He was he was and it, the only serial killer among them, I assume. It, yeah, uh, he was the second oldest. Um, one of nine or one of ten. I don't know why this is eluding me at the moment. But the um, the the interesting thing that that's the exposure to ideas about sex uh, was also very very um, important, obviously, to figure out. And one of the agents told me, well, a couple of them that uh, they they had no proof of it, but they came to believe that Keys had been sexually abused by his father. Right. And when he w- he went into the military and uh, that's the other thing. Oh, my God. They let him into the military. He had no he had no birth certificate. He had nothing. And he was trained as a sharpshooter sniper sniper. I mean, listen, you know, what? we're going to take a little break and we're going to come back and speak more with Maureen Callahan, the author of American Predator, the hunt for the most meticulous serial killer of the 21st century. And uh, you're listening to Sundays on the East End with Bridget Leroy and my special guest host, Georgia Warner. We're coming to you from the Bridgehampton Inn on 88.3 WPPB FM, Long Island's only NPR station. We'll be right back. 
And we're back Sundays on the East End with Bridget Leroy and my special guest host, Georgia Warner. We're talking with Maureen Callahan, who's both a writer for the New York Post and author of American Predator, the book that sold out within moments at Authors Night and is available at your local bookstore. And uh, we are talking about this amazing killer, uh, serial killer, Israel Keys. And Georgia, you wanted to yeah, lead I, off? Well, I, I had a question. You know, you mentioned in our last little segment that he he went after anybody. Um, and obviously he's meticulous, as the as the book says in, in the subtitle. But now I don't remember where I where I read this about you or the book, but there was like twelve known murders or something over a span of how many years? The FBI believes he killed eleven people over the span of fourteen years. Okay, so that's that's less than a person a year. So was he just <laughs> not? He wasn't trying hard enough. Damn it. Well, I mean, I mean, but seriously, <laughs> this is, I mean. Was he? That leads me to believe that either he was very selective and had to wait for the right person to come into his life, or he took a year or more planning. Unless he just had other hobbies and he was just a busy fella. But I think someone who likes, you know, someone who likes killing them that much. Shot glasses from each state. Oh my God! God, no, I know. I just shouldn't be joking about this. I mean, there are families that are grieving these women. But do you think it was more? Yes, okay. yes, I think it was far more than that. And um, there are other agents who work this case who also believe it was far more than that. Like, like, give, like, throw out a number. I mean, I would say, I, it, I would say at least fifty. I would say at least fifty. That see, that makes more sense to me. I mean, and didn't he have kill kill kits in different states? Yes, it, this was. Uh, and then explain what a kill kit is, because I've told the story and everybody goes, "What's a kill kit?" And I'm like, "I don't know. I'm not a killer." <laughs> I would I would guess like gloves. You're scaring right. me, Georgia. I mean, I'm guessing you don't want to leave like prints. And, I don't know. You tell us. Okay. So these, the, these. <laughs> well, you they, tell us if we're right. You're, <laughs> you, you're, you're not, you're not cut out for killing on any <laughs> level. I can tell you. Uh, so it's uh, it, it, these were five gallon Home Depot buckets that Keys buried all over the United States, and he did not wow. document their locations anywhere. They were known only to him in his mind. So it's not like geocaching. There's, <laughs> Sorry, there's no way the, the FBI. The FBI is actually hoping that somebody will find a kill kit because they, that'll put them hopefully on the path to finding more victims. But uh, so in these, he would bury guns, ammunition, uh, zip ties, ropes. Zip ties was going to be my next guess. All right. <laughs> uh, cash uh, from bank robberies that he had committed earlier. And Drano, which he learned could accelerate human decomposition. Wow. Yeah. So he would go, when he when the urge struck, he would fly into a major city, then rent a car, then drive the hundreds or thousands of miles to one of these kill kits, excavate it, and then go on the hunt for now, do humans. You think, do you worry that with the, the cultural obsession with true crime and stuff and... and I mean, they even we were just talking about uh, Unbelievable, uh, which I just mm-hmm. watched on Netflix, and um, that the the you know the detectives in that suspected a police officer because they thought no one else could know that much about how to get away with these things unless you were on the force. And I wonder, like, do you worry about going on the air and saying, "Hey, you know, Drano helps decompose a body"? Like, do you think people are? Uh, are getting? Do you think that really messed up people might be getting sharper to how to get away with things because there's so much being revealed about how other people got away with things? That's such a great point. Uh, now, to your two-pronged uh, question, Keys actually thought about becoming a police officer. Wow. For this very reason, who would suspect a police officer 
it would give him the ultimate cover. Um, and secondly, yeah, it, it's definitely a concern. Um, However, I would say that technology is so much better now that it's not like the days of you know Jack the Ripper. I mean, they they have DNA things. They have all these different ways of catching people. So, it's true. You know, the, projects like this are double sided in that uh, this is an this is this case is is uh, it's an educational uh, tool for law enforcement that they teach this case. Uh, to police departments around the country. They teach it at Quantico. He is uh, being studied at a, a, a secret um, institute that the FBI maintains called the Evil Minds Research Museum. They believe what? That there I want to is... go! The Evil Minds Research Museum? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, it's not open to the public. Oh, come you, you on. You can't see not. the freaked hey, out listen. look I'm giving my mother right now. <laughs> hey, how excited you know she got In my about work, that. Money talks and bullshit walks. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> anyway, so tell us more. Uh, Evil Minds Research Museum. So David Fincher, before I went, uh, had just been there to research Mindhunter. Mm-hmm. Um, and by the time I got there... Did he direct Fight Club? as well yeah yeah um that's a whole side story but um, the social network which is but yeah no they you know keys told them uh, so when he said i learned from you uh he said you know one of the first books i ever read was mind hunter by john douglas i learned a lot about how you guys think and what to do and what not to do another book he read was called dark dreams by the equally legendary profiler roy hazelwood there were scenarios in that book that Hazelwood outlined uh, that other serial killers had disclosed to him that Keyes was beginning to crib from. Mm. So wow. it, it is a double-edged sword. Uh, you know, it's used now, it's used by the good guys and the bad guys. Before sure. before we went to the break, we talked about the fact that he was accepted into the military with absolutely no paperwork so you know this thing you going back to you talking about the fbi having him in custody for nine months and him being trained as a sniper do you think he i mean i i don't want to go with the conspiracy theories but it sure sounds like one i mean do you think they somehow had him on their radar before as being kind of a, a stone cold killer that they could somehow use as a weapon it's interesting because the how and why he was uh he was able to join the U.S. Army remains a mystery. Uh, he had no paperwork, he had, right? He, had, he said to the agents, I did not exist on paper. He was a home birth, never went to school, never saw a doctor, had nothing. I have to imagine it's not totally disconnected from, I mean, unless he was abducting people at gunpoint in broad daylight. and He could, was. Really? Okay. Yeah. So yeah. it wasn't about being, a, it wasn't like the catch me if you can kind of I'll convince anyone of anything sort of approach. Like, uh no. no, I you know it, my theory is that the, they saw something in him that uh, made him an, an exception to the rule that they saw what what he later displayed himself to be, which was as as he was described by the guys he served with a super soldier. Um, oh yeah, tell me about the guys he served with. What was their opinion of him? Well, they were all scared to death of him. They were scared to death of him, and they kept their distance. And he would talk to them about in gruesome detail, like the the most painful way to kill a goat. Uh, things like this, and they just sort of all kept their distance, um, but they would also watch as he, you know, displayed such physical prowess and strength that, you know, he wasn't going to go anywhere unless he wanted to leave. Right. That, that, he, that he was that valued. And, and 
So that that's my theory. And, and there are parts of this case that still do remain a mystery, one of which is, uh, Georgia, your point, you know, at a, at, at, later in this investigation, the FBI reclassified it. It went from serial murder to terrorism. They've never said why. They've never publicly acknowledged that this is true. Mm-hmm. Um, since you and I last spoke, at least one outlet has gone to the FBI and said, why did you guys reclassify this case? Mm-hmm. And I gave them the documentation that literally said terrorism. Yeah. They said, we never did that. But that's insane because didn't he confess to like burying 9,000 rounds of ammo somewhere in upstate New York yes, he or did. something? Yes, he And did. they were the cop killer bullets. They were yes, those hollow tip, the illegal. Black bu- talons, yeah. Ba- black talons. Oh, oh my God. Molly. That's I, 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 This is kind of a personal question. Um, but I, you know, after watching, you know, I love Dexter. I'm, you know, I'm totally into the, the true crime weird stuff. Well, that's but not true. That's but that's, right, of course. I get that, not true crime. Weird, you know, based on how the, criminal mind works mm-hmm. uh but then but like i was gonna say dexter didn't really freak me out whereas watching mindhunter unbelievable these uh these true stories told i make sure my windows are locked before i go to bed now in a way that i didn't usually how has this messed you up <laughs> good question that, people ask me that all the time um you know my the editor of the book told me that after she read it she asked her husband to remove their in-unit air conditioner from their apartment in Brooklyn, because there's a a moment in the book where he gains he's gains entry to a house by pushing in the air pushing thing. in the AC mm-hmm. unit. Um, it actually it ha- it really hasn't messed me up that much. Partly well, you because you got to be a little messed up in the first place to want to write this book. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, maybe you I know just, I, I you know I I definitely knew it was going to be dark stuff, um, but. You know, it's it's nothing compared to like what the agents who who worked this case went through. And right. you know, I, I talked to. There's a chapter in the book about the recovery of 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 the body of his last known victim, and the agent who led that case talked to me about the PTSD that he suffers. Uh, you know, the 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 guys on on his hit under under his watch. You know, the the drawings that they make of the victims they recover, which he sh- he showed me. He shared them with me, and they're heartbreaking. They're the littlest the, victims, you know, and, and these guys live with it every day. You know, the agents up in Anchorage who were on site when they recovered her body, you know, and stayed until the very, very end. You know, these these guys you would think are the toughest guys crying on the way home. And can you imagine you know, the fact that here I am with my daughter and at this very moment my son is in England at Huddersfield getting his master's degree in forensic entomology, which is basically bugs on bodies. Like, this is the career he wants to pursue. I didn't even know that was a specialty. Yeah, it's such a specialty that uh, University of Huddersfield is the only university in the world that offers a master's degree in forensic entomology, and they only take 20 people a year. And now this is my brother, and yet, crazily, just based on what we're talking about, when you said, my son, my mind went to your other son, who is across the country, just because I was thinking... Oh gosh, what, when was the last time we heard from him? Is he okay? You know, like, <laughs> talking about these little victims and being so little. Oh, he's um, fine. And you know, it's. I was. Uh, God, I was on the subway in New York the other day, and I. Not that I wouldn't normally think this way, but you know, I'm not a mother. I think I have somewhat maternal instincts from being the oldest of, of five, two that are not Bridgets. Um, 
But I was, uh, you know, sometimes in the city there'll be kids who will be like collecting, you know, they'll hand out um, fruit snacks and they're collecting donations for their basketball team or whatever. And I was, I was sitting on the subway and this little boy, he must have been about five years old, sat down next to me and said, hey, can you give me a little bit of um, money for, I'm collecting for the team. And I was like, who are you here with? And he just started walking away from me. And the, the woman I was sitting next to, I said, did we see this little kid come in with anyone? Is he here with anyone? And I went after him. Again, he was like five, and he was just soliciting people on the subway. And I said, hey, hey, who are you here with? Who are you here with? And he wouldn't answer me. And I said, hey, do you want some money for your basketball team? Which was a little sneaky of me. And he said, yeah. And I said, you have to tell me who you're here with. He said, my brother. I said, can you point to him? And he did. And it was this guy completely on the other end of the subway. And I just thought, and I don't think I would normally think this way, but, you know, in the middle of watching Mindhunter and stuff, I just thought, we're on a subway. And that, that I don't know how fast his brother is, but if some creep just wanted to pick this kid up by the scruff of the neck, he'd be off the subway, the doors would close, and that would be it. Like, ripe pickings. And it totally freaked me out. Well, but that's part of Maureen's, uh, you know, I think part of what you say is that people go missing all the time. And... And no one, you know, there are teenagers who run away. And we've actually talked about this on this show when we've talked about sex trafficking, you know, which is rampant, but people don't think it because, you know, young girls run away. I'm putting up air quotes. Right. And, you know, and they're, they're 17 and they decide to go out and do, you well, know, and they're never heard from again. I have to imagine that's part of the flip side that you talked about when I asked if you think, you know, uh, these sort of publications and TV shows are sort of giving hints and cheat sheets to serial killers. It's also probably making people a lot more aware of how to, not that you can protect completely against, you know, Mm -hmm. someone breaking into your house with an ax or something, but, you know, you can keep an eye on your kids a little closer and whatever, uh, I imagine. Well, yeah, and, you know, to that point, Bridget, you know, when Samantha Koenig, who was Keyes' last known victim, went missing in Anchorage, this is what law enforcement thought. She's 18 years old. She has a Dark past, troubled past, rough upbringing, had issues with drugs. She's a party girl. She stole the day's take, a couple hundred bucks. She went off to buy drugs, and she's going to show, show up in a couple of days. They made all of these assumptions based on her history, and none of those things were true. She was abducted. And had they come at this case from a completely open, non-judgmental standpoint, they would have gotten surveillance video a lot faster. They would have known immediately, as her father and the town did, that this was something was very, very, very wrong. And so that is one of the other, I think, educational parts of this for not just law enforcement, but for, for us as well. Well, it's, it's an interesting kind of other side of the innocent until proven guilty approach, uh, which has been so relevant culturally for a number of reasons, but the idea that things should be uh, taken as a, an emergency until proven that they're not in cases like this. You yeah, know? absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, in New York City, I think we have this weird sense of false security because mm-hmm. it is the biggest safe city in the world and well even out here in the Hamptons I mean there's a you know sexual trafficking the the you know the uh, I mean I hate to kind of mm-hmm. pinpoint it but a, a lot of it from the reservation because um the, again the the thought is well you know young girls go missing and you know they're off doing something they shouldn't be doing which again it just brings you back to kind of like the view of women in general young women um and you know, it, and all of Long Island has like enormous sex trafficking circles being indigenous up. nations, yes, especially indigenous. are so vulnerable. It was a community keys 
knew and went after. Mm-hmm. He lived on a reservation. Um, I just got an advanced copy of a book that's coming out in November called Highway of Tears. I don't know if you're familiar with that case, but it's a huge stretch of road uh, in Canada. Hundreds and hundreds of girls have gone missing on that road since 1979, most of them indigenous. Well, that brings us back to Keyes because uh, he said, didn't he at some point uh, laughingly say to the FBI, Canadians don't count? He did indeed. He did because he took many, many trips to Canada. And uh, he, he visited prostitutes up there, and they believe that he was, what most uh, serial killers do is they practice. And they practice on sex workers because they're never going to report crimes like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, even if they do, nobody's going to take them seriously. And when they go missing, law enforcement does not prioritize them. So, yeah. And I imagine we don't, we don't have much time left, but... Uh, you know, as a writer for the New York Post, and we focused a lot on your book, which sounds amazing, but Thanks. I just want to hear, what are the things that you write about that aren't this? Well, let's, <laughs> let's take a break, and when we come back, okay, let's talk about okay, that. Right. End it on a bit of an up note. You're listening to Sundays on the <laughs> East End on WPPB-FM, Long Island's only NPR station. You can also stream us online at 883-WPPB.org. We are listener-supported public radio. It's always a good time to make a donation, and we're coming to you from the Bridgehampton Inn and Restaurant. We will be right back. Do you know why he's called... Buffalo Bill, please tell me. The newspapers won't say. Well, it started as a bad joke in Kansas City homicide, and they said, this one likes to skin his humps. Why do you think he removes their skins, Agent Starling? Throw me with your acumen. It excites him. Most serial killers keep some sort of trophies from their victims. I didn't. No. No, you ate yours. You send that through now. So we're back Sundays on the East End with Bridget Leroy and my special guest host, Georgia go, Warner. Go, Warner. Go, go, <laughs> Warner. And we're talking with Maureen Callahan, author of American Predator. That's the short, uh, the short title of it. And we've been talking about Israel Keys. Is, you know, who knows how many people he killed. And uh, serial killers are very popular, but that's not all you do. And Georgia was just bringing that up. Yeah, I have, I have to wonder. I mean, you said you've always had a fascination with true crime, mm-hmm. but the field you went into, well, it sounds like you would have been a killer FBI agent uh, no pun intended <laughs> um, how was that a pun because you could be a killer FBI agent oh god I am god you didn't catch up on that Good come grief. on girl anyway uh, <sighs> so yeah you you have clearly other interests that seem not very linked to this at all <laughs> no um, yeah. I'm really I'm, I'm a generalist like I'm, I'm interested in so many different things and thankfully um, in my role at the post I get to explore pretty much anything that that interests me. Um, it, God, that is a lucky, lucky it, it thing for the, a journalist. It is the luckiest. And trust me, I, I paid my dues. Uh, but um, so it's weirdly related. But the most recent thing I wrote about uh, in a column that's running today is O.J. Simpson's weird... You mean on Friday, October 4th? On Friday, October 4th, okay. yep. Uh, also available online. Uh, is O.J. Simpson's weird resurgence on Twitter? Oh yeah, have you, you know, followed and I was any actually, of that? 
Uh, I saw some very strange posts, uh, which you can speak to, but I, I was going to bring up OJ earlier because uh, Bridget said, uh, I don't want to you know, give away too much of the book, but of course it's true crime. And I thought to myself, like, you know, the OJ Simpson, People versus OJ Simpson, mm-hmm. that, you know, American crime story mm-hmm. or whatever that that uh, show is now. Um, I knew how I, you know, I didn't know much about the Central Park Five, and I didn't want to when I watched When They See Us. Mm-hmm. Holy crap, that's an amazing documentary. But uh, but OJ, I knew how that ended, and it didn't make me any less interested in figuring out how to get from A to Z. Absolutely, and uh, I don't know if you've seen the uh, documentary, the seven part documentary by uh, Ezra Edelman called OJ Made in America. It won an Academy Award. Wow! Even though it aired on TV. Wow! It was. So good, and and but to your point, it's 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 like we are have we all have, seem to have this insatiable hunger when it comes to this topic. One of my favorite, I consider it true crime stories of recent memory, is the Theranos scandal. The Elizabeth Holmes, she was the con woman who who went to Wall Street and, and Silicon Valley and said, "Hey, we can diagnose multiple cancers by a pinprick and testing your blood," and and it was complete. Completely made up. And she hoodwinked people who had served in the White House. And, you know, she, uh, and she, she. For what? To get money or to get blood? (laughs) What are we talking about? She wasn't a vampire. She she wanted to become, I think, the Silicon Valley's youngest tech female billionaire. And um, she. She has yet to go to trial, but that story, you can inhale that on multiple platforms of, as I have. Mm-hmm. I've read the book. Yeah. Uh, I've listened to the podcast. I've watched the documentary on HBO. It's like there's just no, there, there's no seemingly satiating this, this weird hunger that we have. But the yeah. OJ thing, that, yeah, I was gonna when, I was, back to when that. I was researching, when I was researching this yesterday a little bit, I had forgotten this key detail. And this is what makes this case so endlessly fascinating. O.J. Simpson's father was a well-known drag queen. What? Mm. Why do I not know that? Died of AIDS. Are you serious? Yeah. I never knew that. I know. Not many people know that. I mean, that's that's one tiny particle of of his biographical history. Remind me what's going on on Twitter, though. I remember seeing these tweets and going, what? But so OJ has officially joined Twitter, uh, which has taken the very bold step of not verifying him, although he has he has told the AP that that is me. And he uploads these these video streams uh, where he's, um, you know, he's he's 72 years old and yet very adroit, like knows what's going to grab a headline. So his third post was refuting these rumors that have been swirling that he's Khloe Kardashian's biological dad. So that got him. Were there actually like four million views? There actually have been rumors. Oh my gosh! Okay. Um, you're, I see you're not up on your tabloid reading. I, I don't, I'm a biblical researcher of I tabloid don't, America. I don't twit. It's the one thing I don't do. I would argue that. I don't. I'm not on Twitter. <laughs> you're so mean. I'm sorry. And funny. Yes. It's okay. I love you. But he's going on Twitter and and saying these things that are designed to. Um, to gin up outrage, you know, like ta- mm-hmm. he's talking about the Antonio Brown case and he's saying, I really wish I could have given him legal advice. Oh, my God. The best thing to do, after all, when you're under investigation is to say nothing. So he's still trying. I mean, it almost sounds like he has a manager saying, hey, you want to make some more money? Like, this is what you should do. I mean, it's horrible to say that, but I always feel like when people kind of like, if I, like whore themselves out 
publicity wise, they have someone behind them saying, yeah, kid, this is a good idea. This will get you 10,000 views and then we can you know, make that into a, a you can have your own show. It's kind oh, of like, yeah. and then like it goes so badly that they become president of the United States because uh, they get so popular. things, right? Yeah, right? I mean, yeah. Let me ask, uh, I, I know I was the one who led the changing the subject train, but I uh, I forgot to ask about trophies, which, mm-hmm. you know, I'm an, I'm an amateur detective because I watch Mindhunter and, you know, <laughs> shows that are completely fictional. But uh, from what I understand, there's a trend of serial killers wanting some sort of memorabilia from their kills. Uh, did Israel have something like that? He did. Uh, the, the FBI searched his house several times, the house he shared with his girlfriend, uh, and they had asked uh, him pointedly about jewelry that either belonged to his girlfriend Kimberly or did not. Um, Trophy taking is something that uh, serial killers often do because it helps them to relive their crimes. So, um, and there's always a sexual component to reliving those crimes. Mm. Um, So, yeah, that's, that's, that's the grim What did he, what did he, uh, it was jewelry some of it was jewelry um he took there's the 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 case where he entered a a suburban house through the ac unit and he abducted a middle-aged couple in the dead of night from their bedroom and he took a bunch of stuff from their house and uh shoved it into a luggage so that it would look like they had taken off on a Mm -hmm. trip uh and then he drove that luggage up to new hampshire where he sorted through it and and where where did he abduct them from where uh essex vermont Okay. Um, and uh, he uh, he sorted through all of their stuff, and he was like, "This is junk. It's not worth anything." So he burned it. Mm. Uh, so it's unclear what he may have kept from from that couple. It always interests me that because uh, I, I think a lot of these serial killers are were real loner types mm-hmm. that were a little bit mm-hmm. suspect anyway in mm-hmm. some regard. But the ones, I mean, you mentioned he had a girlfriend, and I don't know how long that had been going on for but I mean there's also there's the there's the married couples who one of them doesn't know that you know the husband has a toddler tied up in the basement or something for like their whole marriage or things Is like there anything? Bu- butterfly where like they're married to someone of the of the same sex and they don't know it sure you know or but boys don't particularly and like yeah I mean I guess that goes with you know secrets yeah secrets. but um in the totally messed up secret realm like is there is there anything, this is kind of judgmental, but anything like off about the partners or are they just amazing fakers? I mean, you mentioned that his his military, uh, that his military family, you know, whatever. The colleagues, mm-hmm. yeah. They, they Brothers in green mm-hmm. thought he was a little mm-hmm. nuts. Mm-hmm. So was he better at masking it at home or was she a little nuts? He, you know, he, he very pointedly pursued women who, and he told the FBI this, who just would not question him about anything he was doing. Hmm. Um, so his first girlfriend, uh, he called her his ex-wife. She was the mother of his child. She had a drug and alcohol problem, and that allowed him to get away with murder. Uh, and then and then the girlfriend he was living with at the time, you know, at first the FBI didn't believe she, she could not have known, especially because his last victim was, was held in, in a shed, you know, feet from their bedroom. Uh, for over a month. Oh, you know what I want to talk yeah. about? Because we only have a few more yeah, minutes. Yeah. So I'm sorry to, to go off. But growing up, he had friends who were also killers. Is that correct? Yes. Uh, he, when he was a teenager, uh, he befriended these two brothers named Chevy and Shane Kehoe at, at this white supremacist church that the, the families belonged to up in Colville, Washington. 
Uh, Chevy and Shane went on to become among the FBI's 10 most wanted in the 90s. Wow. Uh, they were apprehended in a highway shootout. Um, but what's really interesting is that uh, one of the brothers flipped on the other and said, it implicated his brother uh, as a co-conspirator with Timothy McVeigh in the Oklahoma City bombing. Wow. So and there's these- one degree of separation between Israel Keys and Timothy McVeigh. Yes. And the brothers, what did you call the brothers? Uh, Chevy and Shane Kehoe. Kehoe. Keys and Kehoe. Interesting, right? Um, but, but Kehoe brothers, were they separately killers? And then one day over drinks, they went, hey, you kill people too? Oh my God, brother. Or were they doing this together? <laughs> they were doing it together. And, and not they to were... be confused with the Kino brothers who are on Antiques Roadshow, of course. Sure. Oh God forbid. Um, but they were, they it were, was, they it was were joint crimes. They were in, indoctrinated by their father. Their father was also... Uh, you know, preparing for race wars and things like that. But what I mean is that the two brothers they would they would go after the same person, kill yeah, the they, same they person together. together. It was a it yeah. was a team effort. They, I, I, it's uh, I'm not sure if they did it together or separately. They be, they definitely knew of each other's crimes for mm-hmm. sure. Um, one of them is in a, a federal supermax and is never getting out um, because he killed. Uh, I think it was a drug related crime, but he murdered a family that included an eight year old girl. So he's he's wow. never getting out of prison. Well, this has just been an absolutely fascinating discussion. I wish we could keep going. I mean, I just love I don't I can't say I love hearing about this because it's all so terrifying, but it's also so intriguing and fascinating. The human mind is endlessly interesting. And and what what is what are you working on now? I'm uh really not taking a break. Anything. I'm taking a break. I mean, I think like, you know, Georgia, when you asked before, how has this affected me? Like I spent five years researching and reporting this book and I'm really tired. So <laughs> Good. Sure. I'm napping a lot. Take a nap. <laughs> Take your AC unit out and shut the window and lock it. Yeah. You've been listening to Sundays on the East End with Bridget Leroy and Alex Sokolow, who's not here with my co-host, Georgia Warner and uh, our producer Delaney Hafner and our special guest Maureen Callahan how can people I don't want to say find you because especially <laughs> after this talk but if people want to uh, the, the book is American Predator mm-hmm. uh, do you have a website or yes like, you can find me at MaureenCallahan.net and you can also find dot me net. dot net yeah someone else has the com okay and is the book for sale on Amazon bookstores yeah. Kindle yeah. versions yep. all across audio Great. yeah more um, of our local bookstores out here in the Absolutely. Fantastic. Yeah. And I'm also, uh, you can find me at the post anytime. Yeah. Yeah, You can email me there as well. I'm Callahan at nypost.com. Okay, great. Well, thank you so much. This has been an incredible beginning to the Halloween month. So (laughs) thank you so much. So sleep tight, kids. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, be well, stay well. Yeah, man.